the Youth Workshop Podcast, episode 29. Yeah, so like like in the United States, like an event like 9-11, okay, for a high school student or younger right now, they weren't even conscious of what was going on. You bring the passion. We bring the knowledge. Learn from the most creative, innovative, and experienced youth experts across the globe. Are you ready to take your youth ministry to the next level? If the answer is yes, you are in the right place. The Youth Workshop, the podcast. Here's your host, Luke White. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Youth Workshop podcast. I'm so happy, I'm ecstatic to introduce our special guest today, Mark Matlock. Mark is the president of Youth Specialties. Mark, how are you doing? I'm so doing great today, Luke. Just can't, can't be better. Excellent. Tell our listeners, um, some of them will be aware of what Youth Specialty is, but tell our listeners just a little bit about Youth Specialties. Yeah, Youth Specialties is uh, about 45-ish years old. So we always debate a little bit when it actually started. Um, but two kind of uh, children of the 60s here in the United States, uh, Mike Iaconelli and Wayne Rice, kind of wanted to elevate youth ministry in the local church community, church mm-hmm. Youth ministry primarily was happening in parachurch organizations like uh, Youth for Christ, Young Life, Christian Endeavor, and they wanted to see youth ministry really expand in the church. And so they started Youth Specialties to support the church in doing youth ministry and uh, started kind of a, a publishing and training kind of revolution in youth ministry that uh you know, I really feel privileged and, and humbled that I get a chance to be a part of, you know, kind of carrying it through into the 21st century. So tell us, how did you end up with working with you specialties? Yeah, well, I, uh, it's kind of interesting. When I was really young, my dad was a volunteer youth pastor at his church, and he had a set of the youth specialties ideas library books, which had all kinds of games and skits and things that youth ministers were using to kind of, you know, um, uh, develop uh, exciting experiences for teenagers. And I would use those books to actually plan my birthday party. So I was always kind of aware <laughs> of these specialties uh, as a child. But um, when I actually started getting involved in youth ministry uh, in the 90s uh, full time, um, I started an, an organization called Wisdom Works that produced a, a conference called Planet Wisdom, which was a discipleship uh, event for teenagers, trying to figure out how to develop biblical wisdom in the lives of teenagers as a model for discipleship. And I started publishing with Youth Specialties uh, the books that I was writing on wisdom, and they asked me if I would uh, join their team. And um, as I joined their team, and there were different leadership transitions and things that took place over time, uh, I eventually became uh, the, the president of the organization. Wow, excellent. Excellent. So wisdom works. I know we're mainly focusing on new specialties today, but tell us, how did, how did you become interested in, in, I guess, wisdom literature and writing specifically for young people around that topic? How did that come up? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what your experience was like in the 90s uh, in the UK, but in the United States, we had this big kind of what would Jesus do movement. <laughs> yes, yeah, we had that here too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had the mugs and the bracelets and the t-shirts and a lot of teenagers were coming to me saying, hey, I'm trying to figure out, um, you know, what I should do about 
you know, dating and, uh, but I'm reading the Bible and Jesus didn't date anybody, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, exactly. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Jesus didn't choose a college. Jesus didn't, you know, and so it was very interesting because I started realizing a lot of the questions they were having and then they were looking to see what Jesus would do. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't real simple for them just to look and go, Oh, Jesus did this. So I did this. So, you know, I'm trying to think, how do they go from thinking concretely about this more, theologically reflective about what Jesus might do. Mm. And so what I uh, came upon was just this idea that, that the Proverbs and wisdom literature was really helpful and that where they were at developmentally in their minds, they were really needing to think differently about how they were thinking less concretely and more um, reflectively. And so wisdom was a path to helping them acquire those skills and really begin to think and act like Jesus would. And so I just began studying the Proverbs and trying to help students develop um, assets of wisdom in their lives. So I came up actually with what I call seven marks of a wise person. I took all the Proverbs and I, uh, from chapter 10 to about chapter 28, and I wrote them on index cards individually. Mm-hmm. And I just spent a summer like sorting them into piles. I mean, I look like a madman, right? <laughs> piles of index cards and yarn connecting them. And, um, uh, eventually I came down to kind of seven piles that kind of all the proverbs fit into. Not that I'm trying to create an exhaustive list, but it gave me some sense of what are the qualities I'm trying to develop in a teenager's life. And, you know, they were, um, a wise person trusting God, a wise person walks in healthy relationships. Well, those make sense because those map onto the two commands that Jesus gave us, right? Love right. the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor yourself. Um, and then um, a wise person seeks good counsel, mm. so humility and learning and receiving input. Um, a wise person speaks carefully. A wise person exercises self-control. A wise person manages their resources, and then a wise person maintains balance. And that last one is kind of a culmination of all of them together. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that wise people have these really rich interior lives. Right. It's not just what they're doing on the outside, so that when calamity happens in the external areas of life, you know, a tragedy, a death, something, um, a crisis for a teenager failing attached to that, their internal life is so ordered that they don't lose composure, but their, their trust stays in Christ. Kind of like when Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things. things. He was talking about that inner resolve to be balanced regardless of the environment he found himself in. So I found for me, those marks kind of became a true North in my own life of the things that I needed to develop to become more like Jesus and, and, you know, discipleship for many years was kind of read your Bible, pray, go to church, um, share your faith and tithe, right? Those are kind of five, you know, now that you're a Christian, what do you do? Read your Bible, pray, go to church regularly, you know, <laughs> yes. and all of those were activities, but what were, what was the goal of those activities? And so I found that by kind of looking at these seven marks, I was looking at real qualities that represented and reflected the nature of Jesus. You know, it's not rocket science and it's not an exhaustive list, but it gives us some handles to hold on when we think of what does it look like to be wise? 
I absolutely love that, Mark, because in my younger years, I remember one of the the most effective or the most um, life-shaping um, decisions that I took was when my parents encouraged me to read one chapter of Proverbs for that day of the month. So, for example, if it was the 10th of the month, I'd read chapter 10. And I remember doing this. I still do it when I remember, um, but I've done it probably for the last 15 years at least and I I really resonate with the fact that there is so much in the Proverbs to actually learn from I've never seen it in the way you put it that is but that's great I really like those those ideas those those categories so maybe share of us an experience where you have seen um you have applied some of that wisdom in your own life and the results that you've had can you think of a, a specific maybe situation where you've applied something from from your wisdom studies um and the, and the result that that had in your life yeah well so some something really ha- interesting happened with these actual index cards that i had mm. so i had a group of students over at my house one night and we were just talking um in a circle and one of the students threw out a situation they were facing in their life. Mm-hmm. And my first inclination, as I think all of us as adults wrongly do, is to tell them what to do, right? Right. <laughs> a question for them. And I, it just so happened that I pulled these cards out as an illustration for something that we were talking about, um, and I had them. So what I did is rather than told them what I would do, which is all they were really asking me to do, mm-hmm. I, I created a learning moment. I actually took some of those Proverbs and I got divided the cards up, not all of them. There are a lot of cards, <laughs> just gave little piles of them to students. And I said, okay, I want you all to read through your stack of Proverbs and throw into the center of the circle, uh, any proverb that you think applies to this person's situation. <laughs> and so, you know, there, I mean, this became a fun activity, right? And we're reading the Bible together and we're thinking about, does this fit? Does this, how to, and then we read through them and we, you know, we said, uh, okay, who, who put this one in here? I don't understand how this has anything to do with it. You know? mm-hmm. And they argue for that proverb, why that applied to this person's situation. And I thought, wow, this is a really interesting way of using scripture. So I actually created a deck of cards that we actually, uh, you specially published, mm-hmm. uh, called the wisdom deck. Wow. And it was just 55 proverbs. You could make them yourself with just find 55 of your favorite Proverbs, if you go to the wisdomdeck.com, I actually give you like a printout of all the Proverbs uh, that I used in my deck so you can get it for free. But the the wisdom deck was just this little tool. And what I found was with students, when they would have a situation they were facing, I'd hand them this deck of 55 cards. They would go through and pull out what they saw as being um, applicable to them. And then we have conversation about it. I, because there were 55 cards, I actually knew what they didn't choose, that there was one in there that they should have. <laughs> five. Yes. And, uh, and they, um, you know, and then I could see whether or not they were seeing something and then I coded them actually. And that's what you can get on the website is the coding for the Proverbs. But then we would turn them over and we'd look and see, Oh, look, all of these have to do with managing your resources. This is Great. a skill set we could develop in your life, you know, to help you develop more wisdom in this area of managing your resources or whatever the case. But, you know, like, you know, I, I mean, you know, you know, cause you've been reading the Proverbs, but there's some, there's some weird Proverbs in there. I mean, there's one that's, <laughs> do not knock on your neighbor's door. 
too many times or they will hate you, right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> all the things that Jesus could have left us, that was important, right? <laughs> I felt like this is Solomon needs to record this for future generations. Definitely. This is this right here could not be missed out. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yet I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached on that passage. <laughs> Um, but I've never heard one preached on that passage. And I realized, you know, how important is this for us as believers to think about what, what Jesus was talking about there is we can wear out our welcome. We can mm. turn something that's meant to be good, a connection, a human relationship into something that's an annoyance to another person. Mm. And I think that as we're out sharing our faith, um, we have to be very mindful of that. And it, it's, isn't it interesting that door-to-door evangelism was really popular for a long time? <laughs> and that proverb was really appropriate. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we all have family members or whatever that aren't believers, friends, and you know, is it the thing that every time they see us coming, they're rolling their eyes and going, oh, no, this is exhausting. Here we go again. Yeah. You know, and that's just one example of a proverb that, you know, you unpack it contextually into someone's life and that can be really powerful. Love it. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Mark. So tell us now, we'll transition in slightly. Tell us what's exciting you the most about what you are up to at Youth Specialties right now. Well, you know, YS you know, has a couple, you know, primary things that we do. You know, one is we, we publish a lot of resources. Um, but probably the thing I'm most excited about right now are the kind of events that we're creating to bring and convene youth workers, you know, taking some of this wisdom stuff that I've learned and thinking about just the, the wisdom of groups. We definitely have a lot of experts in youth ministry <laughs> and I, I love the wisdom that we can get from them. But there's also really powerful wisdom that comes when we gather youth workers that are doing youth ministry right here, right now <clears throat> in a room. The, the, the group can become um, can become more insightful than one speaker if yes. we know how to come together. And so we've been doing, you know, we have our National Youth Workers Convention, but what we focused on is rather than having just a theme that kind of is window dressing for the, the conference to focus us we're, we're also looking at engaging conversations that we want to have. And two conversations that we're going to be having at our national convention this fall is uh, we're going to be talking about faith, science, and adolescence, mm-hmm. finding that, um, that a lot of times we're not really helping students understand science and its relationship to faith. And, and we're finding from our research that a lot of the reason that the young adults and teenagers are walking away from the church once they graduate is because they don't feel that they have a good integration of, of faith and science. And so they feel that the church is incredulous in this area. Yes. Conversation about that. But it's not just about origins and what, how do we interpret Genesis. It's really about giving teenagers a theological vision for the sciences as a way to increase our worship by understanding the creation and the creator, mm. um, to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus by thinking about how to apply the sciences to how we create sustainable communities and urban centers mm. and how we can elevate people out of poverty uh, using um, uh, different uh, elements of the sciences, how we can feed people. So there's a, a vision there that I think a lot of people don't, um, think about when they're thinking about a young person thinking vocationally about their life, how do we give them vision for how God wants to use them in their field of study? And then the second conversation we're going to be having is just the fact that in the United States, um, multiculturalism, racism is becoming 
uh, a very hot issue. But before any of the things that had begun to happen over the last several months in the United States were really taking place, we had already chosen this because we were looking at the demographic shift in the United States and realizing that a lot of the churches that are holding power right now and resources are white churches. And mm. and and we need to be thinking really differently about multiculturalism in the United States, especially among the Anglo church in terms of how we are thinking about multiculturalism, um, how we're not abusing power as we um, seek to be the body of Christ mm-hmm. and pursue the diverse kingdom. So we're going to be doing a, lo- a lot about that as well. So I'm really excited about those particular items of the conference. And it's uh, a lot of different presentations, but a lot of conversation, interaction space so that we can learn, share, and create together solutions for the future. Sounds fantastic. Be sure to um, tell us the dates of that. Um, in fact, tell us now, what, what are the dates for the for the national, your national convention? Yeah, so we do two of them. Mm-hmm. One of them is in uh, San Diego in mm-hmm. October, Okay. And that runs uh, from October. Uh, you know what? It's like I always I, I have to be there different times than everybody else. Yeah, no worries. I need to make sure I got my time, my dates right. October eighth through the eleventh. Great is uh, is the the first one in San Diego, and then Louisville, Kentucky, yes. is going to be the site of our second uh, event, and that's November nineteenth through the twenty second. Awesome. Uh, and that's usually our bigger event. So that usually has, you know, um, twice as many people as the San Diego event. But they're both excellent events. They're very similar in the content, but um, there are more people, more exhibitors, things like that in Louisville. Great. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah. So you mentioned something there uh, in in speaking about the conversations that will be taking place, I think will be good to look a bit deeper into. Um, you mentioned uh, this idea of of power and abuse of power and, and things like that. Now, a lot of our listeners um, who listen to the show are youth workers themselves. And I think that some of them may well be in the position where they potentially have the have the opportunity to abuse their power and maybe have fallen foul themselves to a bit of abuse of power. And um, I just wondered if you've got any advice for our youth workers in terms of keeping a healthy check on their ego as they lead out in their, in their various ways. Yeah. You know, um, once again, I'm not, I I don't know in the, I'm sure you have listeners from many different countries, so I can only really speak with authority from the U S position, you know, on this, how the cultural dynamics work, but, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, this idea of white privilege, the idea that fair skin has opportunity that those, uh, with more pigmented flesh do not have, um, is, is very real. And I know as a, uh, as a white person in the United States, I, uh, did not want to believe that. I did not want to see that. It was like, Hey, I didn't cause any of these problems. You know, I struggled to, you know, to, to move ahead and to stay alive in my life too. Um, but when I really sat with my brothers and sisters from, from different cultures and really just had an open heart, um, you know, I realized there's not a lot I can do about the fact that maybe I have privilege and that I uh, have power that I didn't necessarily earn for myself. 
Um, but there has to be a humility, right? Mm. And, and that there is this incredible power and humility and, and studying the civil rights movement in the United States, seeing the way that, um, the Martin Luther King, you know, used this idea of humility to be a source of power. And I just, for the first time, it was like, I just kind of was like, wow, that really is the kind of power that Jesus had was this, this power to be spit on this power to be beaten on, um, not to use the, the voice that the culture or society gave them, but to use the ability to totally be humble from the sense of knowledge that, that we are in our father's world and everything belongs to him, regardless of how society divvies it up. (laughs) And, and that there's this incredible power and humility. And so I, I, you know, I, I, no ways have attained what I'd like to attain in my life, but seeing power as being, um, uh, through humility, through silence, as opposed through giving our thoughts and, uh, and, and exercising our rights that are given to us by culture, uh, I think is where we, we really show the person of Jesus in really authoritative and powerful ways. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I hear so many Christians in the media today, I, I reflect on the way that the crowds responded to Jesus when he spoke and it says, you know, they were amazed because he taught with one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And I, I man, if, if people were to make that comment today, if Jesus were to come, I think he'd say, you know, when I'm listening to these pundits on the news and these talking heads and all these ministers' blogs, you know, I feel like I'm listening to the teachers of the law, but Jesus spoke with authority. Mm. And I think we have to really think about what that means to live into the power of Christ uh, in that manner of emptying ourselves of what society offers us. They were under tyranny, so it was a little bit easier for them to see. Those that live in more democratic civilizations— uh, that are more, you know, uh, that have already kind of infused some biblical, you know, principles of equality into their, their social fabric. It's hard for us to see sometimes, I think. Right. So thank you for challenging that, I guess, that can be a very difficult subject. Um, do you feel then that youth ministry has to look different depending on um, the race of the of the young person, or do you think that generally um, youth ministry stays the same regardless of of the demographic? What do you think? Well, I mean, there's always the the stylistic things, right? I mean, the kind of music that we're listening to, the clothing that we wear, uh, you know, uh, language that may be you know window dressing based on uh, on culture, subculture, region. But, um, but I think when, when it really comes down to it, it's, it's just spending time deeply with people and, um, and, and literally walking through life with them as they're becoming more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if there's different ways that cultures handle. It. I know that, um, some people think more collectively and some people think more independently, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's important to be aware of those different mindsets and how they shape our interpretation of what discipleship and community looks like right. um, in our churches. But, uh, and I think those are probably the biggest cultural differences between different ethnicities mm-hmm. is how they think of independence and interdependence. 
um, uh, uh, in terms of how they build community and friendship. But I think a lot of the dynamics, the activities are a lot the same. It's just some of the deeper structural understanding of where do we come from? How does family integrate versus my separation from family? A lot of those things are cultural values. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So what, I mean, you're at the, youth specialties really are at the cutting edge of, of what's going on um, in youth ministry right now and, and really shaping the way in a lot of ways in what, what's happening. What have you found is the biggest challenge facing youth ministry at the moment? Um, I think we're kind of, you know, uh, Mark Ostriker, our former president, wrote a really great book called Youth Ministry 2.0, talking about kind of the change from youth ministry as being programmatic, where it was about programs to being more presence oriented, where we're actually being, you know, present with, uh, with youth workers. And, uh, I think that, um, I, I think that that's a, a direction that we're, that we're moving, but I also think that we're learning that presence also means community and thinking about not only our faith community, but how we're present in the community that we're actually living in. Mm. And, uh, and, and youth ministry, I think, has always kind of helped push the church forward. I actually, you know, in the United States, we've actually had some people with some of our economic issues that we've had over the last, uh, you know, five years. You know, churches have started looking and going, is youth ministry a good investment? And so I find that I'm having to do a bit of apologetics for youth ministry. And I'm kind of <laughs> wow. listening to youth ministers around the country. Um, I've kind of cobbled together kind of five reasons. I think the church needs youth ministry. Okay. Uh, would you like to hear them? Yes, please. Sounds great. Um, so the first one is uh, youth ministry is vital to helping teens integrate into the larger intergenerational community of the church. So, and this is kind of like become a manifesto for YS. Um, and so this idea that, um, that a lot of our, our societies right now, um, there isn't a sense of community, even among the church and that we isolate teens and we infantilize teens and youth ministry really helps with integrating teenagers into the intergenerational community of the church so that teenagers know adults. And so it, we can't just be a church within a church. We have to be literally a part of it. And, and I think that youth ministry helps. That has to be one of our goals is helping integrate, um, you know, larger in, in, into that. Um, the second thing is uh, youth ministry resists the status quo, helping the church stay relevant in a changing culture. Mm-hmm. So teenagers are always on the edge of what is going on right now. And I think that by breathing in from what teenagers are experiencing and doing, we have an opportunity to not just look at them as young people that are, are foolish or ignorant or not yet mature, but realizing they're, they're living in a different world, especially with technology changing, with globalization happening you know, they really are growing up with a different way of thinking and the church needs, needs them right. To stay, to stay relevant. It doesn't mean that we compromise the gospel, but we might reflect on the scriptures differently in light of, uh, the way that culture is changing. Definitely. So I think, I think that's an important thing. Um, youth ministry focuses on inviting those who are not already part of the church into the deeper narrative of God's plan for humankind. Mm. That's the third reason. So when we look, 
you know, and when I ask any group of, of, of adults, uh, you know, when did you come to know Christ? When did you begin following Jesus? Um, you know, almost all of them, uh, with, with the exception of some, but almost all of them will say, you know, before the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just looking at that, you kind of go, there's a, an opportunity to, um, to as students are, are looking to, uh, teenagers are trying to find their identity for them to find it in Jesus at that time. And so that I think is really powerful for us in terms of thinking about um, reaching those outside the walls of the church. The fourth thing is that youth ministry reminds the church that teens are not marginalized members of the body, but co-creators and conspirators in the divine work of the church, restoring life on earth as it is in heaven. Love That's it. my favorite one. <laughs> And I think that what we have to do as youth ministers, we have to advocate for teenagers' imagination in what the church is doing. Um, if we really believe this theology of the body and that we all are important, vital members of the body, then we need to realize that we're not functioning properly if teenagers aren't actively involved. Yes, definitely. And mean, yeah, and it doesn't mean that they're slave labor, right? <laughs> like, hey, we got to pull weeds, uh, we got to paint stuff, let's get the teenagers to yes, do, make yes. tribute since they can't financially give. <laughs> yes. that is so often the subtext. Right, right. And, um, you know, we'll have them serve at the banquet because all these old older people are, you know, paying, you know, for their activities. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I think there needs to be appreciation, right? But teenagers are sometimes more connected with the community because they, they go to schools that are often geographically based as opposed to work or social, other social economic, you know, things. They probably know who needs the church's benevolence more than people in the church. Mm. And uh, they probably see things in their communities and their neighborhoods that should happen. And they probably have more energy to create space, to bring people together, to shut streets down and do pop-up parks and, and, and create, you know, these events, uh, just randomly in their neighborhoods that draw community together. Mm-hmm. So I think we need their imagination. And I think, I think we as youth ministers need to advocate for that. And, and then, And then the last thing is just um, youth ministry helps the church focus on the way of Jesus, which goes beyond tradition, dogma, and ritual. And I have no problem with ritual, liturgy, but teenagers keep it fresh and real because those things lose their meaning. That's when they need to go, right? And teenagers always ask why, why, why? (laughs) And, And I think that keeps it fresh. That keeps us connected to why are we doing this? Why can't that plant in the church be moved from that wall to the other wall? Yes. <laughs> and, and, and teenagers have a way of, of, of helping us stay focused on Jesus, not the institution that we've built. Mm. And just love that. So anyway, those are our five reasons. If you go to use specialties, you'll find them on our blog. Um, if you want, if you, um, so if people are trying to write them down, um, but those are, those are there at youthspecialties.com. And we have an update that we put out, uh, for free every month with different youth ministry voices that we're following and tracking and learning from, uh, so, uh, they can sign up for that too there. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you do that. I'm already a member of that, of that update list. So, um, yeah, I get those through regularly as well. 
Um, okay, I want to look at something that you mentioned in, in, the, in those top five reasons. I think it was number four, um, talking about keeping things fresh and young people being able to bring some, some freshness and also some social awareness to, to the church at large. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to, to actually funnel that information from them to the church at large? Is it simply just to sit them down and ask them? Or how, in some of the churches that are doing it well, maybe that you've encountered, how does that take place for someone at the top to say, let's see what young Jimmy has to say um, on, on this topic? How does that happen? Or how can you start to build that type of interaction into, into a normal church? Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's, it's part of the reason why I wrote the five things down um, because a lot of youth workers are like, so where do I start? And a lot of times it starts with bringing these five things to the leadership of the church and saying, <clears throat> are we really leveraging teenagers in our church? These five things made me think about this. Yes. And it's things that most youth ministers, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir with these five things, right? <clears throat> but it, it at least gave them some tangible things to start a conversation outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. And then the leadership has to address it, right? If you, if you throw it out there, they either dismiss it and then, you know, all right, so that's how it's going to (laughs) be. Or, you know, what you pray happens is that they go, wow, I don't know that we're living into this as Mm -hmm. much. How could we, how could we do this? Could we, you know, could we give the youth money to spend, to do proactive projects? Um, So there's, there's a couple tangible, you know, ways that this has come about. Um, one of them is having a, a teen group that helps uh, with sermon preparation. And, uh, and, and at our church, we actually have uh, the youth ministry staff actually kind of, they talk to the students about the sermon after the sermon. Uh-huh. And then they report back to those of us that are teachers. I'm on the teaching team at my church. Um, what hit with the teenagers? What didn't? What examples were too grown up? Right. So we're kind of being evaluated through the lens of teens. So that's that fantastic. Makes, none of us <laughs> want to get beat up by the youth ministry staff when after the sermon. So we're thinking before we go into the sermon. If I'm giving an illustration about work or an application about a work environment, mm. am I also giving one about how to do this in school? Right. Uh, am I just being cognizant of the fact that I have a lot of teenagers in my church mm. be able to relate to some of the things? Am I aware of um, the fact that most high school students right now, which is this is mind boggling, right? But most of the students entering high school right now mm-hmm. were born in the 2000s. Wow. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for reminding us how old we are, Mark. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah. So like, like in the United States, like an event like 9-11, okay, for a high school student or younger right now, they weren't even conscious of what was going on at that moment. That is going to be ancient history to them. Wow. Yes. And so, you know, so helping them and there's this college, Beloit College that does this list of uh, things unique to their um, freshman class. Right. And so, um, you know, I always think it's important that we kind of think about, so where are our teenagers at today? What did they experience in their life? Mm. You know, uh, you know, they, they've never purchased music on a, you know, on a CD or a cassette, wow. <laughs> you know, yes. uh, you know, um, you know, my son who just graduated, uh, from high school this year, mm-hmm. he never was alive when there wasn't the internet. 
right? So I mean, that's I mean, that's what you, we have to we have to think and just be mindful of who is sitting, you know, in our congregation. Yeah. That's the thing the youth ministry can do for the church. And what I'm hoping is is that we actually get to a point where students are helping design the messages. Mm. Uh, you know, not just evaluating them on the backside. So that's one tangible practical. That's fantastic. That is... another, thing, another thing that Christian Endeavor does is they get students and they um, they have them stand in a circle and the outward facing and in groups of two, they take like a, a 15 minute walk out into the neighborhood and just kind of, they're supposed to just be silent and observe. Uh, and then they walk back to the church and then they just kind of ask them, so what, what did you see? And okay, so what? So you saw this, so what? And they basically get the students by just asking them, so what, so what? And what did you see? Come up with, these are things that we want to do in our neighborhood as a church, right? These are the things that we want to do. And so they're inviting them to come up with ideas and all the adults really do is kind of make sure that the students don't kill themselves, right? Um, (laughs) They're just trying to help, um, help the students come up with the ideas and then help them actually implement them. And, uh, and, and, and that's a a practical, you know, experience as well. Uh, Tim Eldred, the president of um, Christian Endeavor, you ought to have him on your show sometime if you haven't already. I'll tell him you referred me to him as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'll help make that connection if you'd like. Awesome. That is so, so, so interesting. You know, it, this is episode now. This will be the late 20s, this episode. I think 28. And, you know, sometimes you get on the call and you're you're not quite sure how it's going to go, but you've actually lit the fire again for exactly why we do this show. And that's just to really inspire our youth workers with fresh new ideas and really open their eyes to what is going on. And I feel I feel fired up now, Mark. Thank you so much for sharing some of those stories with us. Oh, yeah. Luke, thank you for all that you're doing for youth ministry. And uh, it's just great to have a new friend. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Mark. Well, I want you our national convention and hang out with us. Do you know what? I would love to. And I'm, you may see me there. November, November's the bigger one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I, 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 you know, if you're, unless you're on the West coast and it's just cheaper to attend, you're going to have to take a plane either way. <laughs> exactly. So I think I'm going to try and make that happen. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Maybe as we kind of wrap up then, Mark, um, just, Give us maybe one last piece of advice um, from all your years of experience. Just leave us with maybe one last piece of wisdom, actually, to stay in in theme with this conversation. One great bit of wisdom that we can take with us um, from this conversation. This isn't rocket science, but it's kind of been my reflection for the last year. And, um, you know, as I was reading through Acts, and you had, you know, Peter, you know, making his big sermon and, and getting thrown into jail and they're, you know, up before the Sanhedrin. It had to be a terrifying thing knowing what Jesus had just gone through. And the thing that they they remark that they're remarkable that the Sanhedrin notices is these are unschooled men, but they'd been with Jesus. And um, as youth ministers, we're pretty obscure. There are more of us that have master's degrees <laughs> and stuff like that now. And we have to guard ourselves against that, I think. <laughs> but, um, 
But I think that we need to realize that what our teenagers need more than anything is not that we have clever new ideas, Mm -hmm. not that we're cool, uh, not that we're up on all the pop culture, but simply that we have been with Jesus, that we are people that have been with Jesus. And I am finding more and more that if I am not taking care of my own spiritual walk and I am not spending time uh, in the presence of Christ, uh, my effectiveness is just greatly diminished because I'm, I'm just propping myself up on what my human ability can do. And we're living in privileged times as youth workers where we have a lot of resources and tools available to us. Uh, you know, and as the, the publisher of a lot of them, you know, it's almost uh, blasphemous for me to say this, but I just don't think that they're as important as being with Jesus and being people that have been touched by him. And I think we need to stop and really be, be that, that person. And we will see God do amazing things through us. Excellent stuff, Mark. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And um, just give us the the best links to get in touch with you and also to keep up to date with everything that you've mentioned on the show so far. So maybe just give us the Youth Specialties website and um, maybe the, was it Wisdom Works website as well, maybe to have a look at that Wisdom deck? Yeah, youthspecialties.com is where you can uh, find out about Youth Specialties. Um, nywc.com for National Youth Workers Convention. nywc.com is where you can find out about the convention. Thewisdomdeck.com has the free stuff on the the Wisdom Deck. It's it's dated. It's I just keep it up because people want the resource. Definitely. Uh, and then uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter, just Mark Matlock. So that's my handle on Twitter. Excellent. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Youth Workshop Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you will never miss an episode. Also, check us out on Twitter at TYWS Podcast. Special thanks to Jovis Music for mixing and producing another episode. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, create an impact with your influence.